We've talked a lot the last couple weeks about roots. Roots are the first thing that form when the seed germinates. They absorb water and nutrients to sustain the plant. They store energy in the form of sugars. They contain the auxins and also the enzymes that are used to tell the roots to go down and the shoots to go up. They anchor the plant in the soil for protection. They do a lot of things to sustain the health and life of that plant. But one thing a lot of people don't know is that the roots also sustain the life of millions and millions of organisms immediately around them. Now we often think of plants sustaining the life of humans and animals by the fruit. But the roots do the same thing through microorganisms that live in this region immediately surrounding the roots called the rhizosphere. And in the rhizosphere are small insects, microbacteria, things called mycorrhizae, all that feed on the exudes from this plant, basically the excretions of excess sugars and foods that the plant doesn't need to store. Those microbes feed on that, and as they process it, it's almost like a community with a symbiotic relationship. They benefit from the plant, the plant roots actually benefit from those that surround it as they're able to then to reabsorb some of those nutrients to feed the plant again. So the plant thrives, it produces fruit, but it also sustains the environment and the community around it. It all goes back to the roots. Good morning. It's great to see you. Thank you, Dusty, for doing that these last four weeks. And uh, we got forms in the lobby. If you want a uh, quarter credit, a biology credit, you can get that. So, no, I'm teasing. But uh, great to see you today. Hey, this is Family Sunday, so the kids led us in worship and helped uh, greeting you and taking up the offering and all that kind of stuff. And so as we start our sermon, we actually want to invite them to come forward. And Janae and I want to tell them a story and you a story. And uh, I get the easy part of telling the story. Janae gets to uh, uh, develop a new skill she has, a new talent. So come ahead, guys. You guys can sit right in here and sit on the steps and... This is our uh, intentional way about four times a year of just uh, wanting uh, our kids in service with us, just experiencing what we're experiencing and being able to uh, be with you and, uh, and see how you worship and, um, and just to get to experience this. I love this, that we're doing this. And so, uh, all right, guys, can everybody see Janae? You don't have to see me at all. You don't have to look at me at all, right? It's all her, all right? Okay? But I just want to tell you a story. Probably the story is something that you have heard before, but she's going to maybe do something that will make you remember it better or think about it, okay? So, everybody good? Yeah? Dawson, you good? Good? Cool. Okay. Once there was... A man who was very, very sad. All day long, he just looked out his window. Because this man could not play, he could not run, he could not even walk. This man was paralyzed. And the only thing that this man could do was lie flat on his back in his bed all day long. But you know what? This man did have something going for him. He had four 
really good friends. And these friends had just been able to see Jesus come to their village. And these four very good friends thought in their minds, you know what? I bet you if we can just get our friend and take him to where Jesus is, maybe Jesus could help him. And so these four very good friends took the man who was lying flat on his back in his bed all the way up the hill to the house where Jesus was teaching. But when they got to the house, they looked inside the window and noticed that it was so crowded that there was no way that they were going to be able to go in. There was no room for them. But then these four friends saw some steps off to the side of the house that went up to the roof. And so the four friends took their friend who was lying flat on his back in his bed all the way up the stairs to the top of the roof. They began to be get real, they begin, they, the, when they're standing on the roof, they started to get really creative. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And they thought, you know what? The only way is that we're going to have to take the roof apart. And so they started taking the tiles off the roof one by one by one. And before everyone knew it, there was a big hole right in the middle of the roof. And the four friends are now looking down at Jesus and all the people. And Jesus and all the people are looking at them also. And there's dust flying everywhere. And the friends decided to take a long rope. And they tied it to the ends of, their, of his bed. And they lowered the man right down through the middle of the roof. Right into the middle of the room right in front of Jesus. How many of you guys heard this story before? Yeah? Yeah. And you know what? The crowd went quiet because they thought, what is Jesus going to do? What is he going to say? And Jesus looks at the man who is lying flat on his back in his bed, and he looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Whoa, that was amazing because everyone in the house knew that only God can forgive sins. But Jesus told this man that his sins were forgiven. And not only that, Jesus not only forgave his sins and said, I'm God and I can do that, he did another amazing thing. Do you remember what that amazing thing was? He told the man who was lying flat on his back in his bed, to pack up his mat and to begin walking. It was a miracle. Everyone in the house was so blown away by it, they lifted their hands and were praising God. Can we lift our hands and praise God? Yeah. In fact, the man was so overwhelmed that he was praising God and his friends and so thankful. And you know what? Now, when people pass by that man's house who once had been laying, the man looks through the window and says, come in and let me tell you about the wonderful miracle that Jesus did in my life. Is that pretty cool? 
Did Janae do a pretty good job with this? Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> good job. So you guys are going to expect that every week now, right? Janae's got to do that every week. All right, guys, thanks for coming up and listening to the story. You guys can go back to your families. I read about a police officer who pulled a, uh, a driver aside, and as they do, he came up to the window and he asked for his license and registration. But the driver looked at the officer and said, well, what's wrong? I, 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 didn't, go any, I didn't go through any red lights, and I, I know I wasn't speeding. Why are you pulling me over? And the officer said, you know what, you're right, you weren't. But I saw you waving your fist as you swerved around the lady driving in the left lane. And I further observed your flushed and angry face as you shouted at the driver of the car who cut you off. And how you pounded your steering wheel when the traffic came to a stop near the bridge. To which the man looked at the officer and said, well, is that a crime officer? No. But you know, when I saw the Jesus loves you and so do I bumper sticker on the car, I figured this car had been stolen. So that's why I pulled you over. Nobody admit. You know, today I want to finish the Rooted series um, with kind of that, that thing in mind, that theme in mind. As for four weeks or three weeks, we've now looked at what does it mean to be rooted in Christ? We know deep roots equal strong trees. And the scriptures use this imagery in the Old Testament and in the New, of the physical reality of roots being healthy and going deep, and as they do that, it produces a stable, uh, fruitful, life-giving tree. And it uses that metaphor, that physical reality, to help us understand the spiritual condition or reality that we can experience, right? It talks about putting your roots down we get that. We know that. And so for three weeks, we've tried to understand what is it in Scripture that would teach us on how to have deep roots, to be rooted, right, in Christ. We've noticed that it calls for things such as um, a mindset of being a Christ follower. The word Christian has gotten so distorted in our culture, 80% of Americans identify themselves as Christian. And basically what they're saying is they believe that Jesus is who he said he was and that the Christian faith is really the only faith. Great, that's good, that's a great start. But the scriptures teach something well beyond that. Jesus invited us to be his disciples and what it means to be a Christian is to follow him. And so for me to live a life that's rooted in Jesus, that's stable, and that's able to live out my faith regardless of whether there's drought or whether there's storm or whether the circumstances of life would not be, uh, would threaten my faith, how can I live rooted in Jesus? Well, first of all, is embracing a mindset of a 180-degree turn from myself and my sin and following Jesus wholeheartedly. That is the start of what it is to be rooted. And it answers the question, what is a Christian? 
You see, Jesus and John the Baptist and the first sermon ever preached, they were calling people to repent, to turn from their selves, their, their sin, from their, the world's systems and realities, and to trust completely and turn completely to Jesus Christ. This, cool, this chair is cool in doing that today. That's good. I should have had this the first, son, the first week when I was doing the turn thing. But, um, well, then what, if that's answering the question, what is a Christian? The second thing is, we tried to answer the second week, is how does that happen? So you're telling me, Chip, to be rooted in Jesus is to be completely, wholeheartedly following after him. I can't do that. I cannot do that. I am bound by my sinful nature. I am bound by my self-centeredness. And is, even though I want to follow Jesus completely, I can't. And guess what? God did something about that by sending the Holy Spirit into our lives and into our world. And he enables us now to be able to follow Jesus. The presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is what enables us to do this. It's the how am I a Christian? What is it to be a Christian? How am I a Christian? Last week, we tried to answer the question, when am I rooted? When am I rooted? And we noticed that it's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong cooperation of day in, day out, week in, week out, of me making myself available to the Holy Spirit or the means of grace, me building into my life spiritual disciplines, the disciplines of prayer and reading the word. And there is action, there is, there is effort on my part, energized by the Holy Spirit, but my will saying, you know what, I choose today to avail myself to the Holy Spirit. And as I do that day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out, all of a sudden my life begins to change and be transformed. It doesn't happen overnight. I wish it would have for me, but it didn't. I came to Jesus and guess what? There was a whole lot of stuff that needed to happen. And guess what? There's still a whole lot of stuff that needs to happen. But I can look back and this phrase is absolutely true of my life and it's true of every Christian. I am not where I want to be, but I am not who I was. And it's a cooperation of allowing his grace as I avail myself through the action of my will to change my life and as he does that, we grow and we mature. Just as a tree, it takes time and years. You ever cut a tree open and, and look at the rings, right? And you see the years that it took to grow to that, that, that diameter and that strength and that, um, that viability. It, it takes time. And so too in our lives. We shouldn't be discouraged if, if we're not, you know, like, why can't I get some of this? But also at the same time, we are growing and maturing. And he's calling us, as, as Ken shared last week, some of those scriptures about, you know, we go from drinking milk to eating meat. The natural progression, even in our own personal lives, right? Um, you would think it would be completely odd if you walked into a restaurant and I was sitting at a table and I was sucking on a bottle, Right? A serious question, and you, you know, my whole life would be seriously in question. Okay? Yeah. You'd think nothing if I'm sitting there eating a steak, right? And so, too, our Christian lives. 
We, do, we move from drinking milk to the process of now eating steak. But I want to share one last thing and what I think it means to be rooted in Christ. And um, I want to take you to Romans chapter 12. And I understand Romans, you'd have to know that the first 11 chapters of Romans has been like, I mean, it's just like this literature changed uh, everything. I mean, it changed the way we thought, what we understand. It just developed our understanding of God's plan for this world, of God's plan for our lives, of what he's done in our world, of how he's taken salvation through one people and now it's for all people and how we can experience Jesus in our lives. And for 11 chapters, it is just like, wow, that is some of the most intelligent, life-giving words and chapters that we've ever read. Right For 11 chapters, it's like, this is what's going on, and this is reality, and this is what, who you have in Jesus Christ. And in chapter 12, Paul, decide, Paul then moves from, this is what he's done, and this is who you have, to this is what it looks like in your life. This is how it should operate in your life. This is what should happen with your lives when Jesus is in it. And so I want to read 21 verses, okay? Don't get freaked out by that, all right? We're gonna read them and just, I'm gonna let you saturate in them a little bit before I really just anchor to two of them. But I think it's important for us to get the context of what he's talking about. And we would read in Romans chapter one or 12, verse one, therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy, motivated completely by what God has done, you should offer your bodies as living sacrifices It was the dead sacrifice thing in the Old Testament. It's now the living sacrifices of our lives given back to God wholeheartedly, surrendered to him because he has given us this great mercy and a new lease on life and a new start, a new life. In in view of what he's done, offer yourselves back holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And in doing this surrender, you do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. You're free from the systems and the thinkings and the lies of this world. But now you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're changed by the renewing of your mind. And you, in that process, will be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's his good and pleasing and perfect will. So in light of everything I've shared with you, just give yourselves completely to him and let him start the process of transforming your, li- your minds and then your lives so that you can experience his will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you see, the culture, he's already introducing to us, the, culture, the mindset of a Christian and the culture of the kingdom is one of humility. It's one of people who do not think of themselves more highly than they ought. Isn't that vastly different than when you turn on the TV? Isn't it? Like I watched the NFL draft this weekend because I like the, you know, the NFL. And what is 
Self-promotion is so big in that, right? And putting yourself and listen to one guy that, you know, he was going to make all other nine teams that passed on him. He was going to make them pay for the next decade. And he was, you know, all this. Guess what? The kingdom looks vastly different than that. It's driven by and the mindset is one of humility. I desire so badly to live in a community of people where when there are those of us who think more highly of ourselves than we ought, that we look out of place. We stick out like a sore thumb. And that we feel awkward and, and uh, because it's obvious no one here really has an elevated sense of themselves because we all get what the kingdom is and who we are without Jesus Christ and, and uh, we have a complete, accurate self-awareness of our own lives. He says, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. And as he begins to move in to what does this look like, we are quickly introduced in verse four to the idea that this whole thing of being a Christian is always much, much bigger than us because he quickly introduces us to this idea just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us if a man's gift is prophesying let him use it in proportion to his faith if it's serving let him serve if it's teaching let him teach encouraging let him encourage if it's contributing to the needs of others let him give generously if it's leadership let him govern diligently if it's showing mercy let him do it cheerfully Already we realize that this is much bigger than me. That if I'm a Christian, if I'm a Christ follower, what it means to be rooted in Christ is to live a life that is not preoccupied by me. In fact, I am a part of something that's much bigger than me and my energy and my purposes and my resources are driven now to make the whole better. And then he moves into 9 through 21. And it's kind of like 9 through 21 is, it's like the Magna Carta of how to live out the Christian faith. It takes Sermon on the Mount principles. Paul takes Sermon on the Mount principles. And it's kind of like if you think about it as we read it, it's like, okay, this is what needs to happen in your life, then this is what happens with people here, and this is what happens with a further group of people, and then this is what happens with your enemies, and this is what happens with people who persecute you. And it's like, it kind of, just think of it in an ever-widening circle. Let's read. The first thing he says is, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. That's where I want to land. That's what I think we need to grab a hold of in this process of being rooted, going deep, having deep roots in our spiritual lives. These two verses are like, they're the start of how that happens in our lives. Along with the three things we've talked about, this is an important thing for us to realize if I'm gonna be a strong, fruitful, life-giving Christian. He goes on, he says, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Man, I'll tell you what, all I'd have to do is read this and we could go home, right? Right? 
Because I know the Holy Spirit's talking to every one of us. He's talking to me right now. As the word, wow, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. (laughs) Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is what the life of a Christian looks like. But it starts with those two verses. Be, let love be sincere. Cling to, or abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And he says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And as I'm reading this and I'm thinking through this and I'm trying to grab with this, you know, all this, I'm reminded that the early church was built on this being devoted to one another. And the church has always thrived and been its best when we have understood that as in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to you know, the, the, apostles, the apostles' teaching and to prayer and the breaking of bread and to fellowship. It's that word kononia, right? I put it up here probably five times since I've been here. Chip's been here two years and you've been introduced to this word over and over and over. That's intentional because that is what the church at its heart is. It is a close fellowship It is a partnership. It is a togetherness. God always designed for his people to be devoted to one another. That's what is his goal and his plan in making us rooted deep in him. Um, I, uh, I would remind you of this. You will never become the person that God intends for you to be without the right people around you. Can I read that again? You will never become who God intends for you to be without the right people around you. I love that picture. I haven't put it up in my office yet, but I probably should. You've probably seen that popular picture of the turtle that's on the fence post, right? And the whole idea is the turtle never got to where he was by himself. Somebody put him up there. And our lives are lived understanding that we are never who we are supposed to be without the right people pouring into our lives and us pouring into them. That's the dynamic of community. That's the dynamic of kononia. I would remind you that the key to happiness in your life is not independence. It's interdependence. And the old African proverb is so true. You can run, you can run alone And you can run fast for a while. Or you can run together 
and you can run far together. Have you ever experienced that, running in a marathon or a 5K? Or, um, man, having a running partner, having a running buddy can be everything. It's what just keeps you going and keeps you motivated. And it's this idea in this race of faith that we have, this, this race of life that the scriptures will use that terminology. And so it's why the scriptures have how many one another's in scripture. You, we are to be one anothering one another. And there is no idea of what it is to be a Christ follower, of what it is to go deep with Jesus outside of the idea that my life is blended into the lives of my fellow Christians, my fellow believers. And that's what he means when he starts to talk about this, love must be sincere. So this word sincere, it's um, without hypocrisy. Or it's authentic. Authentic. Do you realize to be rooted in Jesus calls for you to be an authentic person? An authentic person. As I was studying this, I, I come across definitions and phrases that, that talk about this word. And it's like it's, it's the real you, not a projection of you. It's the real you, not a projection of you. And I'm sitting there reading that, and I know this guy wrote this years ago before social media, and I'm sitting there thinking, wow, that is so appropriate for us to understand, right? Because we now live in a selfie culture, do we not? And it would appear that the more we're sharing ourselves out there, like now you can like Google your name and images come up, Right? Like, wow, I'm, I'm more out there than I ever was. Some of you are going to try that right now, aren't you? <laughs> but really, what is happening is what appears to be putting ourselves out there is actually creating a limited authenticity. Think about it. Think about the selfies you've taken. Think about... Um, the filters now that we have, right? Come on now, some of you. Like, we do our very best to put our best foot forward, do we not? Now, I know there's some of you, and I can appreciate this with some of you, and I laugh that like, you're like, you even say on your Facebook, I'm just gonna be real today, this is my real life, and you take a picture of your living room, and it's a mess, Right? And we all laugh at that and we kind of think it's cute because we realize that that's not what is normally happening, right? Most of the time, 99% of the time, we had to get the camera just right and it had to be, you know, this side of our profile. I joked with him in the first service. I'm like, guys, I'm not immune to this either. Like, I've had a goatee since 2009. I have not shaved it off one day. Always had a goatee. And I, I kind of like the look of a goatee, but do you really want to know the truth? I'm being authentic this morning. Like, I have a round face. The Bullocks have a really round face. And in my vanity, I just wanted to grow a goatee to streamline my face to look thinner. <laughs> Unfortunately, I still have a round face, but it doesn't look quite as round. Is it working? Do I look streamlined today? Thank you. 
right? I mean, oh, that word without hypocrisy is, it's the word for mask, right? The old Roman theater. The, uh, the, uh, the only the males were in the theater, right? And so they had to, to play different parts. They learned to project themselves as something else with their voice and, and they would cover themselves with a mask and they were playing a female but they were a male, right? That's this word that would have been used in a Roman newspaper. They, this guy wore the mask. That's the same word here. Love must be sincere. Without hypocrisy, without the mask. And the church has always meant to be a place of authenticity. And actually, it is to be a, just a, a culture where we can come and we can be real with one another. And we don't put on the mask. How many times do I ask you, are you doing good? And you look at me, doing great. And you're lying to me right through your teeth. I do the same thing sometimes. Because we don't, you know, we're just protecting, hiding, and And yet the church was always designed to be a place where we should be able to be most vulnerable and transparent. I want to show you a video just because I think it makes my point um, and you'll understand the the, uh, humor in this. But watch this video. Are you tired of small groups always getting into your business, trying to get you to share your feelings, discuss your past, confess your sins? Are you just looking for a place to kick it? Network, maybe get some free grub. Me too. That's why I created what I believe to be the world's first openly shallow small group. We're not here to deal with messy stuff like feelings and emotions. You got problems, you deal with them. You're an adult, life ain't easy, so stop the pity party. We all have our issues. We don't really wanna do life together. Frankly, at shallow small group, we try not to do much of anything at all. You'll never hear us use the term, unpack that thought. We're sure it's packed away for a really good reason. And you'll never hear us use the term accountability unless you're talking about someone who deals with numbers. Hey dude, thanks for doing my taxes. You have great accountability. And spiritual growth? Who wants growth? I had a growth removed last week. It wasn't pleasant. There's no pressure here to remember each other's name. What's going on, buddy? Oh, hey man, how's it going? That's yeah, good. Hey, Chief. Oh, dude. Captain, what's going on? We know you have a name, and that's the important thing. Group discussion? You got tickets to the big game? Sweet. Let's spend some time on that. Oh, you and your wife are struggling financially? There's tension in the relationship? Uh, that's not really the vibe we're going for. We avoid conflict like the plague. Wants cake. <laughs> and there will never ever be an awkward silence. That's our guarantee to you. We hate bad theology as much as the next guy, and we know the surest way to prevent bad theology is to avoid theology altogether. And outreach? This is the only outreach you'll ever have to do. Some people say we're superficial. But hey, the word supers and superficial. I mean, who doesn't want to be super? Shallow small group. Because when things get too deep, people drown. Won't you join us? Right? That's not what the church was created to be, and we all inherently know that. And they did a great job in helping us to understand that. 
Love must be sincere. Now, it does call for us, again, he reminds us that we have to be authentic. If we want to be a part of an authentic community, we have to be authentic. He says, we are to be people who abhor that which is evil and cling to that which is good. Again, it's back to this idea of I am completely, my disposition towards sin has completely changed as a Christ follower. That word abhor, uh, the best way, I think the best word picture for me is it, um, it's, it's kind of this idea of, it, it, you know, if you've went on vacation and before you've went on vacation, maybe you've left uh, milk in the fridge and it was about ready to expire anyway and then you're gone for a while. And you know what it's like to go in and open up that milk carton and unscrew it and, you know, spoiled rotten milk. Just the, ugh. It's awful, right? That's this word. We are to abhor that which is evil. I'm an authentic person. I'm really in this. I'm really, a, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to be all that Christ wants me to be. But when you get a group of people that are that way, he says then in verse 12 of chapter, or verse 10 of chapter 12, he says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. As we're authentic, we take that step of now being devoted to one another. And this is what here and all through the New Testament enables you and I to be rooted and to stay rooted. Devoted, be devoted, it's, it's it, um, you don't care about the Greek words, but it really kind of says lovingly love. It's like, two words that are put together that mean the same thing just to kind of make a heavy emphasis that we lovingly love. I lovingly love one another. And then he uses the word brotherly love, the word Philadelphia, right? That idea of warm, affectionate family love. And what he is saying that you and I create or the church is a place where we become a warm, affectionate, supportive family. I know some of you guys, when I say warm and affectionate, you kind of squirm, right? We desperately, desperately, desperately need this in our lives. The support of a family of people that are willing to look at us and say, hey man, I just feel like you're like getting off the tracks here. Are you okay? Are you all right? Man, I just feel like you're getting too bitter about this situation. And I just want to remind you that that's only going to be the death of you, not anybody else. Hey, man, I just feel like I sense you're hurting. Like, what can I do to help? The encouraging words, the healing atmospheres, the, the pouring into one another, the, just that creating a, what a good family does for one another. Be devoted to one another with brotherly love and honor preferring, honoring one another above ourselves. And you see, to be rooted in Jesus calls for us to 
be empowered by the Holy Spirit, change our disposition, all these individual things, but a key component of what makes it stick, what makes it work, what keeps us going, what matures us and grows us and gives us the ability to be fruitful and life-giving in our world is committing, committing to a community of believers, pouring into them and them pouring into me. As an authentic person who has now become devoted to one another. And I would say, looking at my own life, the times I have grown the most, when I have grown the most, when I grow the most, is when I have tapped in and been connected to other believers in a together kind of way. And the people that help me the most are the ones that I can be the, re- I can be the most real with. And there is something that is so liberating about being able to be real, be real with somebody and know that they have your back, they care for you, and that they are going to help and encourage you through whatever it is you are going through. There is nothing more. It is empowering. It is strengthening. It is liberating to finally become real. And that's what the church was always supposed to be and meant to be. A place where we can be the most real so that we can find the most help and we can experience the most blessing that God has ever planned for our lives. And being rooted includes all those things we've talked about this, but it also absolutely Core to it is being connected. And I put it this way, being rooted in Christ requires an authentic, engaging connection to the community of believers. And this principle is always true, always true. You limp along in your spiritual life. You limp along when you are not connected in a vibrant way to other believers. You just miss it. You just never get what God fully has for you. And you, you can't one another one another because you don't ever really, you know, like have connection with people and you don't know what it is to be poured into and to pour in, to, to, to gain encouragement, strength, and, and guidance from somebody else, to learn from their life, to watch their example, to hear how they handle the situation. And the same point, you never are able to use the gifts and talents God's given you that he wants you to use, that once you use them, you just feel so fulfilled and have so much purpose because, wow, I actually made a difference in somebody's life. I actually encouraged somebody. I actually gave a word that helped them or I know just by my being there for them it, it helped them to not crash and burn in a bad time in their life. Being rooted calls for us to be authentic and engaging in a community of believers. Amen? And let's pray. Lord, we've probably beat this drum a few times this year and there's probably a reason it's because your word talks about it a lot I've heard the craziest things from people like I don't really need the church to be a Christian and I just want to look at them and say I don't know what Bible you're reading but you're not reading the Bible you're making up your own gospel 
There is no Christianity without the church. There is no growth in grace without connection to other believers. So Lord, help us to create an environment here that is authentic, that allows people to be real. And in being real, we then encourage, strengthen, and help each other to go to that next level, to take that next step, to grow and mature as we ought. And Lord, we actually have a vibrant, life-giving, encouraging family that we're a part of. This is crucial to being rooted in Jesus. And Lord, I want to I stay rooted in you. I want to grow and I want, I want my roots to go deeper and the tree to, to just, just to be more fruitful and life-giving. And I realize that happens only as I stay connected. So Lord, challenge each one of us in this area of our lives. Maybe some today are saying, you know what, I'm just, quite frankly, I'm unconnected. Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you just speak to them in ways that they can be. Bring them to people that they can just connect with that would encourage and edify them in their faith and they could do the same. And Lord, above all, make Napnaz a connected place, a life-giving family that strengthens one another. And it truly is a church that is rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. Make it so, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You guys have a great week.